John chapter 6 and verse 37. John chapter 6 and verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Now, the word giveth here is in the present tense, and so refers to an action which is going on whilst the Lord is speaking. It does not, therefore, refer to a decree by God in the past, but the Lord is saying, all that the Father is giving me right now will come to me. The Father gives to the Son all who accept that God exists, that God created them, and that he must therefore be obeyed. The Father gives to the Son all who feel their sinfulness and need of salvation. All who desire to be reconciled to God. All who genuinely seek after God the Father, he gives to his Son, that they might then be brought into fellowship with the Father. So as men under conviction of sin respond to the Father's drawing work on their hearts and consciences, it is then that the Father gives them to the one whom he has appointed as his mediator. For the Father has entrusted the work of salvation to his son. In short then, if anyone, anywhere in the world, is genuinely seeking God, then he or she will come to Jesus Christ. Because the Father gives to his son all who come to him. In Matthew 16 and verse 16, we read, Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. So here we plainly see that a true knowledge of Christ is the result of the Father's drawing work. God draws men through the creation, through their circumstances, through working on their consciences, and supremely through the preaching of the gospel. All who respond to those drawings will come to Jesus Christ. 
because the Father will give them to him. There can, therefore, be no true faith in God unless there is also faith in Jesus Christ. Because the Father gives those who genuinely seek him to his Son, the unique mediator between men and God, whom he has appointed. Anyone, anywhere in the world, who responds to God's call will be given by the Father to his Son, so that the Son will then save him from his sins. Every true seeker after God, therefore, will inevitably be brought to God the Son. In other words, no one can seek God and ignore God the Son. No one can seek God and find him by ignoring Jesus Christ. Now, we read in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4, God will have all men to be saved and to come under the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So no one can genuinely come to God the Father without coming also to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there is no other mediator. And because the Father chooses to give all who approach him to his Son. There is therefore simply no knowing God by bypassing the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no one who has genuinely come to God the Father who has not also come to God the Son. And so our Lord says in the previous chapter here, John 5 and verse 23, All men should honour the Son even as they honour the Father. He that honoureth not the Son honoureth not the Father which hath sent him. And so, if a man does not honour Jesus Christ as the eternal Son of God, he is not worshipping God at all. And therefore, any who deny that our Lord is the Son of God cannot possibly be worshipping God. And that means, therefore, that our Muslim friends are not worshipping the one true God because they are bypassing Jesus Christ. They are not honouring the Son 
for who he really is. Now further on in this chapter 6, in verse 44, our Lord says, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. So the Father draws men to his Son through the Holy Spirit. And so we see that the Holy Trinity, the three persons of the Godhead, are involved in the work of salvation. The Father draws men to his Son through the Spirit. And the Spirit's work is always to glorify the Son. John 15 and verse 26. When the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Those whom the Father draws are directed by the Holy Spirit to believe in the Son. When they do this, they are then indwelt by the Holy Spirit, who always testifies of Christ. So every true seeker after God will inevitably be brought to the Son, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Those to whom the Lord speaks here do not believe in the Son because they are not true seekers after the Father. The Lord is addressing the 5,000 whom he had fed with five loaves and two fishes. They are following him, but it is not because they are genuinely seeking God. We read in verse 26, Ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. And so they are following the Lord because he has physically fed them. And they are probably hoping that he will be an earthly ruler who will make them well fed and prosperous permanently. But they're not actually seeking God. And so we read in verse 36 here, the Lord says, Ye have seen me and believe not. So it is in the context of unbelief and rejection of God that the Lord says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. You yourselves are not coming to me, but all that the Father giveth me do come to me. Therefore you have not been given to me by the Father. You are preoccupied with your earthly affairs. 
and with earthly bread. But what you really need is the spiritual bread, which only I can give to you. You do not come to me for this bread, because you are not humbling yourselves before God the Father. You are therefore not among that number whom the Father gives to me. So again we learn here that any true seeker after God will of necessity come to Christ. Because the Father gives all such to his Son. So, to come to God the Father is to come to God the Son also. We cannot separate the coming. It's not possible to go to God the Father and not also to embrace God the Son. If men never come to Christ, it is because they reject God the Father also. Our Lord says in verse 38 here, For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. The Lord reinforces the fact that to reject him is to reject God the Father. And he does this by asserting that he came from the Father and was sent by him. Indeed, he is in such perfect union with his Father that he has come directly from the Father's presence, from heaven itself. No other prophet of any other religion can make that claim. Our Lord came directly from the Father's presence in heaven. By asserting his heavenly origins, the Lord is also making known his own divine status, which again makes him the unique mediator between God and man. And so, of course, this is another major stumbling block for Muslims. They categorically reject our Lord's deity. And so that means that they cannot come to the Father. They cannot find God because they are rejecting God the Son. Now in John 10 and verse 30, our Lord says, I and the Father are one. Uh, and, and this is where grammar can be very interesting. The, the word one there is in the neuter. It's not masculine as one would expect. It's neuter, which means I and the Father are one entity or of one essence. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is of the same divine essence with his heavenly father. 
In John 14 and verse 9, our Lord declares, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And so we have there a clear statement from our Lord's own lips that he is fully divine, that he is God manifest in the flesh. Another reference to our Lord's deity is seen in what our Lord prays in John 17 and verse 5. John 17 and verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. The glory which I had with thee before the world was. Now, the Lord could only speak such words if he existed within the Godhead before the creation. And of course, we go right back to the very beginning of John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word. The Word is Christ. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. So when the Lord tells us here in chapter 6 and verse 38 that he came down from heaven... He is telling us that he is in fact God manifested in the flesh. The eternal God come down from heaven as a man. And so because of his unique nature being both fully God and fully man he is able to be the perfect saviour. Of sinful men. If the Lord were just a man, he could not be the Saviour. Because if he were just a man, he would have inherited Adam's sinful nature and he would have needed salvation himself. But he is fully man and fully God and without sin enabling him to be the perfect human representative before the throne of God now we also read in verse 37 here our Lord says him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out the Lord encourages these unbelieving Galileans to come to him for salvation. He tells them that they will be received by him. No matter how wicked and faithless they have been up to now. And this shows us that our Lord is a truly compassionate saviour. Turning none away who comes to him for mercy with a truly repentant heart. There is indeed rejoicing in heaven over just one sinner who repents. 
And so we are told here that whoever comes to Christ repenting of sin will be received. And this reminds us of 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If there is real resolve to have nothing further to do with sin and unbelief, then Christ will receive whoever comes to him, no matter how black is their past. Let us note, however, that God's great compassion is inextricably linked with the need for repentance. Compassion does not cancel out the need for repentance. Now men are only able to repent as God works upon their hearts by his Holy Spirit. And so repentance is in itself a gift of God. God enables the unregenerate man through a work of the Holy Spirit to repent. In 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 17, the Apostle Paul declares concerning the unbelieving, idolatrous, Gentile world in which the Corinthians lived, Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Again we see that the Lord's willingness to receive the sinner demands the sinner's willingness to separate from all previous uncleanness. We are reminded of what our Lord says in Luke 13 and verse 3 and also verse 5 of that chapter. He said, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And so the great compassion of our Lord towards sinners does not mean that sinners do not need to repent. They must repent. And so we must be very wary of a false gospel which declares that God loves you just as you are. He will receive you just as you are. We must not give the sinner the impression that God's love is such that he is prepared to overlook ongoing sin which is not repented of. And so there is, in the whole matter of salvation, it is God's work and God's initiative, but there is also this factor which God and his sovereignty has worked in of human responsibility. Now, human responsibility in the matter of salvation is brought out very clearly in Matthew 23 and verse 37. Our Lord is looking down upon Jerusalem 
And he says, How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Ye would not. They did not exercise their wills to be gathered to him. They were a wicked and hard-hearted people who rejected the Lord. Even though he had taught and performed miracles in their midst. He would have gathered them. Because he is the willing, compassionate saviour. And he was drawing them. But they would not come. Now the Lord is always calling men to himself. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So can we see that the sinner is not passive? He has to respond to God's sovereign work upon his heart. The sinner has to come to Christ. The sinner has to repent of sin. He does not just sit there and wait to be saved. Those who are weighed down by their guilt under God's holy law will be relieved of their burden if they come to Christ. Because he has promised that he will cast out none. And him there is rest. In him there is safety. In him there is refuge. Our Lord continues here in chapter 6 and verse 39. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me. That of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing. But should raise it up again at the last day. Now here we have a further declaration of the Father and the Son's desire to save sinners. We note here that the Lord refers to the Father's giving to him of all believers. And this is rendered in the past tense, all which he hath given me. Whereas in verse 37, the present tense was used, all that the Father giveth me. This change of tense is because the Lord is now referring to the end of time, to the last day. When all the Father's giving to the Son will have finally ceased. On the great last day, the day of judgment, it will then be too late for non-believers to change their minds and seek after God. So the Father gives all genuine seekers after him to his Son to act as their saviour on the last day, the day of judgment. So as then to raise them up 
unto everlasting life. The Lord Jesus Christ will keep all those committed to his trust. He will bring them safely to his heavenly kingdom. He will lose none who will not lose themselves by their faithlessness and rebellion. And so we can have a confidence that God will keep us safe to the end. But that does not mean that we should not be diligent and that we should not make every endeavour to endure to the end because we are exhorted to do just that. And so God's wonderful keeping power does not mean we should not be diligent to make our calling and election sure. God is not willing that any should perish. And if any do ultimately perish eternally, it will only be because they have put themselves out of Christ's keeping power. Now, referring to the last day, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 51, we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. The Lord Jesus Christ is the unique and compassionate Saviour. For he will raise up our bodies from the dust of the earth on the great last day. As he said in the previous chapter, chapter 5 and verse 28. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. And so the Lord will keep us safe, safe until that great last day. But part of his keeping us is that we, by his grace, endure to the end that we persevere and remain faithful and then our Lord says here in verse 40 this is the will of him that sent me that everyone which seeth the son and believeth on him may have everlasting life and I will raise him up at the last day Notice that being raised up on the final day of judgment 
is inextricably linked with believing on the Son. Now, in the Greek here, in verse 40, the Lord literally says, I myself will raise him up at the last day. I myself will raise him up. But this resurrection to eternal life depends upon seeing Christ for who he really is. Everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him will have everlasting life. And so Christ has to be honoured as the Son of God. And there has to be a personal trust in his sacrificial death in the sinner's place. The Lord Jesus Christ can raise the believer up from the dead because he raised himself from the dead. His resurrection was the first fruits of the resurrection of all who are united to him by faith. He will raise men from the dead on the day of his return to this earth as the judge of all flesh. And so we learn here that there is going to be a last day of this earth's existence. This world is not just going to go on and on interminably. There is already fixed a last day, the day of judgment. Anyone then, as the Lord has taught us here, who is genuinely seeking God, will be given by the Father to his Son, in order for the Son to save him from his sins. All who genuinely believe in God the Father will also of necessity believe in God the Son. Because the Father gives all such to his Son. There is no believing in God without believing in Jesus Christ. He is the unique Saviour appointed by the Father. And he is perfectly equipped to be the Saviour because of his nature. Fully God, fully man, without sin. The Lord Jesus Christ has come down from heaven. That makes him unique amongst all the prophets. And he declares, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. And this shows us that he is full of compassion for sinners, not willing that any of them should perish. And he saves men for all eternity. And he will raise up their bodies from the dust of the earth on the great last day. So these verses from John chapter 6, verses 37 to 40, are teaching us 
two vital truths. Firstly, about the status of the Son, that he is fully divine, fully God, one with the Father. And secondly, we are being told that the Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect Saviour of sinners and the only Saviour of sinners. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And so there are vital truths here which we have to impart to an unbelieving world. So may all non-believers today grasp hold of our Lord's words here and apply them to themselves. This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. In other words, there will be no eternal life unless sinners come to the Father through the Son. Amen.